Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good Good morning. It is the 26th of January, 2023. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Good morning to you or good afternoon or good evening, depending on when you're uh, spending time with me today. Thank you so much. Um, When we talk about spending time, I recognize that it is an incredibly valuable resource that you can never get back. And so this is a very valuable um, uh, gift that that you give me by sharing this time together. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's make the most of it. Let's um, let's start off where we must begin every single day, and that is in the Word of God. So where are you in the Word today? That's a good question to ask yourself throughout the day. Like, where am I in the Word right now? What, what, what part of um, God's revelation am I living into and out of in this very moment? We're going to turn to our Growing Your Faith verse of the day. It comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 33 and 34. Now, if you're like me, as soon as you start reading um, these particular words uh, inside internally, you start singing. And so I just warn you in advance, this is one of those verses in my in my heart and in my head that are set to music. And so if you're responsible for making that happen in my life, Kathy Connor, um, thank you, I think. So as soon as I read, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. My heart and mind, like sing, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Okay, I won't um, <clears throat> subject you to any more of my singing, but God loves the sound of my voice, so there you go. Sing it out if you know it. Um, let us seek first the kingdom of God today and his righteousness, acknowledging that everything else that is necessary for the living of these days according to the will of God is going to be given to us as well. So let's um, let's look at these verses. These are complementary ways of saying the same thing. So in essence, Jesus is repeating himself. So the first statement here is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And then the second is a is a restatement of the first. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So two complementary ways of saying the same thing, which means that um, Jesus is helping us understand what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness um, and understand everything else in perspective to that. And he's setting it in the context of worry. Why? Because that tends to be what we do. We, we tend to worry, not only about tomorrow, but about today and about the next moment and about next year and about the future. We worry about um, that which we cannot control, um, 
And we fail to see that it's actually all ultimately in God's control. So if we're seeking first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, we don't have to worry. We literally do not have reason or cause to worry. Uh, Jesus is basically saying, look, trust me, you got enough to deal with today. Let uh, tomorrow's concerns concern you tomorrow. Today, concern yourself with today and turn your eyes uh, I'll use another song here. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The challenges of this present moment and the challenges that you're going to face tomorrow um, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Have you turned your eyes upon Jesus today? It really is all about perspective. Um, Maybe think of it this way for a moment. From the foot of the cross, what do you see? That 100% depends on your perspective. From the foot of the cross, what do you see? Depending on your perspective, you might see a man stripped naked, bleeding from deep wounds from head to toe, a man being mocked by religious leaders and taunted by ordinary people, a man condemned to die by the worldly powers of his day and time, a man suffering a torturous death, And in looking at that man dying in that way on that day, you might be tempted to judge God as powerless or merciless or a liar or completely unable to affect what's happening in real time, in real life. But you'd be wrong. You'd be wrong. Because you'd be seeing the cross from a worldly perspective. There is something else going on that... From a worldly perspective, you cannot see. When you're standing at the foot of the cross, can you see all the people who are going to be saved by that particular death? By the particular death of that particular man on that particular cross on that particular day? From the foot of the cross, can you see what's happening there for you? No. I mean, from the foot of the cross, no one could see what Jesus could see. I mean, when the writer of Hebrews says, for the glory set before him, Jesus endured the cross with all its suffering and shame, the glory he has in view, well, you are a part of that. The kingdom of God populated and inhabited for all eternity by people who would be redeemed through his redemptive sacrifice. That's where Jesus's head and heart and words and deeds and focus were. Jesus is described as frequently looking up into heaven before he speaks or performs miracles. He's looking up to heaven because that's how we on earth connect intentionally with the Father who is in heaven. I mean, when Paul says um, that we should keep a righteous perspective on the things of this day, um, Colossians 3, he describes it this way. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying here today. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let tomorrow's, you know, concerns be the concerns of tomorrow. You got enough to deal with today. Let's echo um, not only the sentiment and the thought of Jesus here, but let's actually adopt his practice. Let's be kingdom people. No matter what you're facing, no matter the cross that you're called to pick up today as you follow Jesus, I want you to carry it in view of the cross that Christ endured for you and the glory set before him. 
worry does nothing but burden us with tomorrow's problems. And we got enough to deal with today. This is my right, a right given by God to live a free life, to live in Hey, Ben Johnson is back. You can find him at WashingtonStand.com. You should read what he is writing. Great reflections there. Um, Today, Ben and I are going to talk about virtue. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Carmen. All right. This is a a big topic, and so I'm just going to ask an opening question that is um, deep and wide. What is virtue, or what are virtues, or what is a virtuous person? Like, Just help us bring this idea of virtue into view. A uh, virtuous person is uh, one of the rarest things to find on earth. Uh, a virtuous person is someone who, under the power of the Holy Spirit, is fulfilling God's will in their life. Uh, that's that's probably the shortest, most concise answer that I can give. You know, our Lord defines what is virtuous, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, serving others, but essentially it's fulfilling God's will uh, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the progressive sanctification that he brings to us uh, in order to serve and love those uh, whom he has died to redeem. Okay, I I love that because that's not like a list. I really appreciate that. A virtuous person is one who, by the Spirit's power, fulfills God's will in their life. That um, That's something I can take before the Lord in prayer. That's a question I can ask of myself moment by moment. Um, and it's not it's not like um, a checklist. So I really appreciate that. When we think about um, virtuous people, like how, how do you think we identify them? Uh, we identify them through the power of the word, that it has to be an objective standard. Uh, and so the, the first and most fundamental way is to see what their behavior is. Lots of people will say that they are believers. Uh, you know, Many will call unto him and say, Lord, Lord. Uh, and yet their works do not show that they actually have faith. And so the epistle of uh, of James, for example, is so important. He says, faith without works is dead. Faith essentially gives life, uh, I'm sorry, works uh, give life to faith. They show that we have an active living faith and that we are living that out. Uh, and so you can you can find that by those lists, which have been given to us of the virtues, you know, the Ten Commandments, the Beatitudes, and all of the other ways that our lives line up with Scripture. A virtuous person will never deliberately go out of their way uh, to to break a commandment. Uh, and, and when they do, uh, they are contrite, they confess, they receive forgiveness. Yeah, I like that, um, that you know, God provides in His Word, He reveals to us um, evidences of, uh, you know, of how we can compare um, a person and their actions to that which is godly and good. And so um, the Ten Commandments um, is a good, I mean, like that just seems like an excellent basic starting point. Um, the Beatitudes, another wonderful place to point, um, evidences of the Spirit's presence and work in a person's life by like the fruit list in Galatians 5. Um, but there's other places as well where um, you know, the uh, Paul talks about, you know, y- y- you put off these things and you put on these things. I mean, there's a there's an exchange being made um, and it helps us to see what the Christian life looks like or what the life of Christ in a human being by the power of the spirit looks like. 
Um, and so we're going to continue this conversation with Ben Johnson. We're going to talk about um, virtue in terms of leadership, what kinds of virtues we're looking for in our leaders, um, and what we do when we end up with, you know, I'll just name a person here, a guy like George Santos in the U.S. Congress, um, who so obviously is lacking in the most basic of virtues. Um, like, what do we do when we arrive at this point as a people? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Maybe you're thinking in this new year you'd like to change the world. Well, you can start by changing the world for one child. We're partnering with One Child Again, and you can sponsor a child now at MyFaithRadio.com. What happens when you sponsor a child through One Child? Well, you're going to be linked to a boy or a girl who lives in a country other than your own, uh, and you're going to help supply for their tangible needs. Yes, they're going to receive the gospel of Jesus, but they're also going to receive educational assistance, supplemental food, clothing, health care services, and opportunities for love, friendship, and encouragement. The cost is just $39 a month, and you can sponsor a child right now at MyFaithRadio.com. So if you want to change the world this year, why don't you start by changing the world for one child? Sponsor a child today at MyFaithRadio.com. talking about the connection between um, virtue and the virtuous life and living in the midst of um, our current reality. We're talking with Ben Johnson. Uh, He tweets at the Rights Writer. He writes at WashingtonStand.com. Ben, when you think about democracy, or when I think about democracy, I'll own this thought, um, it's hard for me to imagine any other form of government um, that relies upon the virtue of its people, of virtuous people in order to function. It's more, it's more than just, you know, obedience um, to laws. Democracy is self-governance, which requires people, individuals to be self-governed. And we want, uh, and, and that only works if there's like widespread virtue, which there's not in America today. Yes, limited government only works with a virtuous people, as our founding fathers told us over and over again. When you have a limited government, that means that uh, government is only being turned to for those functions which the people in and of themselves can't uh, take care of on their own. So generally, you're talking about people who are beginning in the family unit. That's where governance really begins, self-government, and then in the family unit, then the local community, then the state, and only then the federal government. And uh, essentially, with the breakdown of the family unit, uh, with, a, with the loss of faith and the rise of the nuns and such a, a spread of uh, not necessarily atheism, certainly agnosticism uh, in, and a, a lack of faith and formation in biblical understanding, then people are no longer able to, uh, to fulfill that function and government has grown exponentially as a result. And that's a big problem because as the founding fathers said, uh, you can either rely on the, the fact that men would have an angelic disposition in their execution of the laws, or you must limit that power. And uh, those who uh, end up seeking that kind of power tend to be the very kinds of people that you can't trust it with, like Mr. Santos, whom you were just discussing. So what do we do? Um, what, what do we do, you know, as a people when it's so clearly evident to us? And I, and I think there's growing evidence. This isn't just about members of Congress or individuals. This is about 
um, systemic concerns like uh, American. The American people largely do not trust the FBI anymore, largely do not trust um, the president, largely do not trust um, the Supreme Court. I mean, like um, it's a um, this isn't just a one branch issue here. We've got um, we've got a level of mistrust uh, in the country because we have these evidences that people um, lack virtue in terms of the the serving in these positions. So what do we do? Like, what do we do as we the people um, to move from, you know, where we are to, you know, a more hope-filled future? Well, you're right that there is certainly a distrust and uh, it's well-rooted. Uh, it, it goes all the way back to the founders for the reasons that we talked about. It, it recognizes that we are all fallen beings and that uh, the more power you give to a fallen individual, the more fallen society will become, uh, particularly if they have power over larger and larger swaths of the country. So one of the, one of the issues here, uh, as you say, is that it's systemic and it is broad-based across the government People have not trusted politicians for a very long time. Uh, generally, they have a, a high, somewhat higher regard for the Supreme Court. That dipped a little bit, although I, I would note that uh, there was a poll saying that since the Dobbs decision, that has come back up a little bit in some opinion polls. So that's that's good that they're restoring their credibility. But uh, in now there's an issue that uh, they don't trust federal employees to uh, carry out the law on an equal basis. So, for example, if uh, you're a pro-life uh, pregnancy resource center, you've been vandalized, uh, you can be, there, there are at least 101 such incidents of pro-life churches and uh, PRCs that have been vandalized across the country. The Obama, administ- I'm sorry, the Biden administration uh, just arrested the first two suspects. On the other hand, they've arrested virtually 100 people, 100% of those who've been suspected of uh, vandalizing in the opposite direction. So it, there's a question about whether the laws are going to be applied equally and fairly. I, I think the first step for us, uh, obviously, is always prayer and repentance for our role in the state of the federal government, crying out to God to deliver us. Uh, but then it begins with disciplining ourselves and being able to be ready when uh, we are when uh, that government hopefully will recede somewhat, that we are able to reclaim that that authority for ourselves, our families, our churches, schools, and communities. And we have to be ready before God will give it to us. Uh, God will not simply turn over the governments to those who cannot govern themselves. Uh, You read about that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, about anyone who would govern in the church must rule his home well. And so we have to be models of good governance that begins with self-governance, that begins with an ethical, virtuous life for ourselves, and then modeling that in our families and seeing that radiate outward. And I think uh, ultimately you'll have a much more successful community. Uh, This was part of what was behind the uh, faith-based initiative of uh, the Bush administration, which I I had issues with for other reasons, but it was recognizing the churches and paraliturgical uh, organizations, parachurch organizations, do a much better job. Uh, Word of the day, word of the day, paraliturgical. (laughs) All right, go Forgive ahead. Forgive me. It's good. <laughs> they, they no, paraliturgical. I mean, ding, ding, yeah, ding. There you go. Fantastic. There we go. Yeah. Uh, running alongside the formal worship of a church, uh, going back to the Greek. But uh, yeah, th- those organizations actually minister to the root causes of the reasons that people are addicted, the reasons that they are in poverty, and they equip them with uh, not only the 
physical means of supporting themselves through jobs and education and so on, but they also give them a reason and a hope and a future because they connect them with the living God. All right, the word of the day, paraliturgical, running alongside um, the local church in the work of God. You probably know a parachurch organization. There's probably one you love. It might be Faith Radio. We are technically a parachurch organization. We're not a church, but we are um, certainly uh, a, a gospel ministry seeking to advance the kingdom always and in all ways. And so if you've never thought of us this way before, I'm just laying claim to the reality that we are paraliturgical, and I now have a fun new word for my mouth. There you go. And I mean, you, you have so many wonderful words, so now you can share it's that a, one as well. It's so fun to talk with you because, look, you just it's a little party for my mouth today, paraliturgical. I'm going to say it a lot. It's so fun. Hey, Ben, as always, thank you so much. Um, the bottom line here, you know, if we want to be a we the people um, that has a virtuous self-governance, then we need to be virtuous, self-governed individuals, and we need to be ready to step up to serve when the opportunity presents itself, um, because like, we cannot be a people of virtue unless there are people of virtue. So um, thank you so very much, as always, for joining us. We love our conversations with you, especially when you bring us a word like this, paraliturgical. I mean, you know, I just yeah, that's like a bonus, like a bonus hit for Thursday. Well, your, your words always sing in my heart, and uh, particularly the musical reference you made. So I'm going to go play that myself <laughs> here in a moment. Yes, let us Thank be seeking so first the kingdom of God today and his righteousness, and uh, everything else um, will come rightly into perspective. That's Ben Johnson. He's the rights writer. He's a senior reporter and editor at the Washington Stand. you got to read what he's written recently about Kamala Harris, WashingtonStand.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. You know, all the time we spend, uh, you know, planning for the show and thinking about what we're going to talk about and making notes. Never. Like, no, it's always the thing that's unplanned. It's the, it's the thing that God gives. It's the, it's, it's, the, it's the little party for the mouth that just shows up like paraliturgical. All right, just say it a few times and see if you don't smile out loud. I mean, just go ahead and try it. Okay. Ah, uh, there you go. Um, I remember um, the first time that my niece Mia, who's now a sophomore in college, but when she was very, very little, and you don't expect very, very little children to say multisyllabic words. And she said to my mother, her grandmother, I mean, she was, I mean, little. And she looked at, uh, at my mom and said, Grandma, that is quite a predicament. <laughs> my mom is like, and that is just way too big a word for such a little person. So there you go. Um, go ahead. Use a big word today. Try it out. Have a little fun. Um, what is on your mind today? What are you thinking about today? And how are you thinking about what you're thinking about? So just pause there. Like, what are you thinking about? What's on your mind? And then how are you thinking about what you're thinking about? Lots of people are actually not actively thinking about anything. Like their mind is blank. They're not you ask them what they're thinking about, and it's the God's honest truth when they tell you they're not thinking about anything. There's literally nothing on their mind. Um, I want us to be different. I want us to not only have 
the right and righteous things on our mind to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But I want us to then think rightly about the things that are on our mind. Are we seeking to adopt and apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day? I mean, that requires that we not only think about the things of the day, but we consider how Jesus thinks about the things of the day. So how does Jesus think about the war in Ukraine? Or how does Jesus think about famine in uh, in countries around the world? How does Jesus see the people who are desperately seeking to migrate across national borders and build a better life? Like, how does Jesus think about the issues of the day? How does Jesus see that homeless addict that you're passing by right now sleeping over a grate? How does Jesus think about the bills you have to pay or the fears you face or the argument you had or the test you failed or the temptation seeking to rob you? Let's talk about aligning our thoughts with the mind of Christ. Steve Arterburn joins us next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Well, I feel like Stephen Arterburn needs no introduction. He's the founder and chairman of New Life Ministries, um, and he is the host of New Life Live, which many of you listen to. Um, And so we're just thrilled to have him back. We love to talk with him every time um, there's something new on the horizon, and he's got a brand new book, Every Believer's Thought Life, Defeating Destructive Mental Patterns to Gain Victory Over Temptation. Um, Steve, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Great to be with you, and uh, always love uh, getting to, well, kind of vicariously be in Minnesota with you. Yeah, right, exactly. So um, when we think back uh, over the books that you have written and the things that we have talked with um, you about in the past, um, I mean, certainly the the Every Man's Struggle, um, that series, that that entire conversation that we've had with you over time— this is, I think, an outgrowth of that. Am I right? And it's an, also an amplification and a, and a broadening of that subject matter area. Well, yes, it, but it applies to every person. We do uh, want to help guys to refine whatever program they're working to stay uh, in the area of sexual integrity. But Marcus Brotherton is my co-author, and he and I said we, we wrote this book, Kirby McCook and the Jesus Chronicles. Uh, it was our last book together, and it won book of the year for uh, young young readers. And so we thought, okay, what are we going to do for adults? Well, why don't we do something that covers everything? And so <laughs> that's what uh, we wanted to write, because if you don't get the thoughts captured, taking every thought captive, then, of course, they capture you. And hopefully uh, there's some very good insight here into why we have these uh, patterns and these go down these trails and get lost. And then how do we prevent it? How do we get back? All right. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about um, our thoughts and why they matter so much. I mean, it's I have a thought life. I'm thinking about things. I'm not always thinking about what I'm thinking about. I'm not always thinking about how I'm thinking about things. Like, why do my thoughts matter? Well, they they matter a lot, and everybody's a bit different. And when we talk about every man's battle, we're talking about lust and things of that nature. But there are just as many folks, I think, that 
to one degree or another, let's say worry. They're worried about their kids and they're worried about the future and they're worried about the things that they did wrong. And that can really become such an obsession. And of course, that if you're full of worry, then you're living a fear-based life. Then there are other folks that everything becomes an irritation, which leads to anger, bitterness, sometimes rage. So it's different for every person and of course the the person in despair which i have been many times the depressed person and one of the problems in the christian community is that if you have one of these uh emotional or one of these thought patterns that's off then you're just viewed as spiritually weak and there's shame in having any kind of problem like this so a lot of these thought problems stay in secret. And of course, we know sickness thrives in secrecy. Mm. So hopefully, uh, every person, whatever they struggle with, there's something here that could help you with whatever it is that your brain tends to move into. And one of the things that we want to honor is God's creation. And God created this magnificent, wonderful brain. But it's a fallen world, and brains are fallen in a fallen world. So some brains, just like some kidneys, they don't work properly. And if that's the case, um, you need to find whatever the source of that solution is. You, you might have a chemical imbalance or, you know, a wiring problem, things like like that uh, are things that are just put into your brain as a young person that just aren't true. Like, you know, you'll never amount to anything. These kind of stupid things that some parents do. So we have to look at the reality. And it's not just about um, if I memorize scripture, I get free because the scripture doesn't actually say, um, well, it says the truth will set you free. But in context, it says, if you follow my teachings, you're truly my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we have to follow the teachings. We have to live it. And when we can't do that or something, um, we get snagged up, you could say, or stuck in the process, then we need to find some kind of remedy for that, that honors God and leads us on the path that is God path, not our own or not somebody else's. So good. We're talking with Steve Arterburn. The book is Every Believer's Thought Life, Defeating Destructive Mental Patterns to Gain Victory Over Temptation. When we come back, I'm going to ask Steve to help us understand um, maybe the difference or the relationship between wisdom and willpower. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. 
And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. This is amazing grace. Continuing our conversation now with Stephen Arterburn. Um, Steve, let's uh, continue this conversation about the book, Every Believer's Thought Life. And let's jump into this this conversation about helping me understand, like, what is willpower and maybe what's what's the relationship between willpower and wisdom? Okay. Well, you know, um, someone made this up. They said that uh, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is actually a fruit but wisdom is not putting the tomato in a fruit salad so (laughs) i i like that because you know you can know a lot of things and not be a wise person and one of the things that a wise person knows is that self-will self-power um you have to sustain that if it's all up to you versus um, willingness, willpower versus willingness. Mm. And when I'm willing and I'm humbly willing, then I open myself up to God's power to forgive, to heal, to have growth. And everybody needs a growth process. Uh, You know, discipleship is about growth. And, And if we're not growing... Uh, we need to pick a program. Uh, you know, the 12 steps are, are great steps that are right out of the Bible. Eight, if you need eight things or seven stuffings, whatever it is, get on a path of growth. That shows daily that you're willing to go beyond your own willpower. Now, we need willpower. Uh, we need all the power we can get. But willpower isn't sufficient. For us to live our life here in this very difficult fallen world. So wisdom says I replace focusing totally on willpower, which I do need, to being willing to let God, the Holy Spirit, empower me in a supernatural way. Now God is going to help me sustain what I cannot sustain on my own. Okay, so there's a few tools related to that. One might be what you talk about, um, we should go to our God thought. And then the other is this like very practical implementation of the command to take every thought captive. Can you talk about those two things? Sure. So if if I'm going to live a life uh, that is godly, the Bible's really clear on thinking about things that are good, honorable, and and pure. Okay, so whenever I have a thought that is troublesome, um, takes me down one of these paths that I can get stuck in, it's great to have a God thought. For one, for some people, this one is really powerful. God is always with me. That's totally... Uh, biblical. I am with you always. Now, if God is with me and not up somewhere in a heaven that I don't understand where it is, if he's right here, then he knows my thoughts and he knows what I'm doing. And so maybe I can get into the presence of God or I can focus on the Holy Spirit within me. So God is with me. Um, 
another God thought is that there's a power in me greater than the temptation or the or the struggle of my world. And, you know, I read a book uh, by Bill Bright years ago about the Holy Spirit. And it is amazing when we just ask the Holy Spirit. We're filled with the Holy Spirit, but we ask the Holy Spirit, help me to do what I cannot do on my own. Now, all of those thoughts, all of those things I'm thinking about there, they're, they're spiritual things, not worldly, uh, not carnal. And it just takes me to a new dimension or a deeper dimension that connects me with God and helps me rise above or go beyond the struggle that might bring me down. Now, I want to mention this. Nobody's perfect. Paul said, the very thing I want to do, I just can't do it. Now, Paul said that we need to give ourselves a break. We're not going to be successful all, all the time because it is a powerfully evil world that's fallen in which we live. So you don't want to beat yourself up going down a shameful, I'm the worst Christian in the entire world kind of thing. You want to then replace that with God is rich in mercy. That is a wonderful God thought that can get you out of the negative stuff that will destroy you. I I love the emphasis on the God thought. I think that you know this expulsive expulsive power right of a of a new idea or a new affection um yeah. if i'm if i know i'm prone to a particular set of negative thoughts or thoughts that lead lead me down destructive paths it's one thing for me to resist those it's another thing for me to like you know actively implement the command to take those thoughts captive it's another thing to have a thought that's going to replace that positively and so i thought i think that the go to our god thought such a helpful tool you've given us here one of the other things that you do um, in this book, Stephen, uh, and again, let me just remind everybody that we're talking with Stephen Arterburn. He's the co-author, along with uh, Marcus Brotherton, of a new book, Every Believer's Thought Life, Defeating Destructive Mental Patterns to Gain Victory Over Temptation. Um, one of the other things that you do that I think is just really helpful, we talk a lot about, um, or we use the phrase mental health, but we don't often like actually talk about what it means to have a healthy thought life. Like, what does it look like to structure a health plan for my thought life? Can you just give us a couple of practical uh, practical ideas there? Sure. Well, first of all, let's just say I was a scientist. I probably am reading a lot of science books <laughs> to be a scientist. And if I'm a follower of Jesus, be a really good idea to read the words of Jesus, to fill my mind with scripture, with biblical mm -hmm. truth. And so, uh, you know, my wife and I just finished this project. We just published it this uh, three months ago, the one-year Bible for men and the one-year Bible uh, for women. And so when, when we get up in the morning, uh, I opened up my one-year Bible this morning, when we start the day with those thoughts, and that truth, it makes a big, big difference. Um, I did a 100-day devotion, 100-word devotional for every day. And the devotion I did yesterday, it said that we need to be watermen. Now, watermen are people that take water and make it into something 
that works for us. So the waves we surf, the wind we sail, you know, the uh, currents we kayak in. Watermen know the water and make it work. Well, the first waterman was Noah because there hadn't been a flood till Noah. And, and John the Baptist was a waterman. He baptized Jesus. Jesus was a waterman. He could take uh, water, turn it into, into wine and all sorts of other things. And we need to be watermen. What does the Bible tell us to do? To be about the business of making disciples and baptizing them, bringing them to the point of in the water of baptism. So when we're when we go down these paths like I just did, then we can spend a whole day thinking about water, Jesus, the Bible, tears. What do we do with tears? How how does Jesus use our tears? You see, it's a trail of it's a habit. And and let me just say this, for a worrier, let me tell you how to honor God with your worry. Um God wants us to pray without ceasing, right? So if I'm praying without ceasing, I'm focusing on God. If you worry, turn that worry into a conversation with God rather than thinking, oh my goodness, what uh, what in the world am I going to do when I retire 20 years from now? Well, just don't do that. Say this, God, God I'm sitting here thinking about retirement 20 years from now. Would you help me prepare? Would you help me to focus today on what I can focus on rather than worrying. Because God says, be heavenly minded and don't worry about the stuff down here. He says that in Philippians. And so if we can have this dialogue with God rather than worrying just unto ourselves, we can turn a horrible negative practice of worry into a unceasing prayer life with God all day long. So good. It's so good. The book is full of um, so much practical wisdom. We are used to getting that when we um, engage with uh, with Steve in, in what he's writing and in what he's talking about on air. Again, the book is Every Believer's Thought Life, Defeating Destructive Mental Patterns to Gain Victory Over Temptation. You can engage with Steve and everything he's up to, um, the audio he's producing and all of his other works at newlife.com. Steve, um, thank you so much for joining us today on Morning for Carmen. Carmen, thank you. And uh, I just hope and pray somebody be blessed by this book. And uh, you go to newlife.com, you can find out about everything that we do there, including the Every Man's Battle uh, workshop that helps so many men find sexual integrity. Such a blessing. Such a blessing. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. I'm smelling coffee, birds are singing just outside. Here comes your mercy streaming in with the morning light. Well, 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 guess what I just found out? We have books to give away. We have copies of the book we just discussed with Steve Arterburn, Every Believer's Thought Life, Defeating Destructive Mental Patterns to Gain Victory Over Temptation. We have copies in the studio to give away. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Text the word book, B-O-O-K. Nothing else. No exclamation points, no little hearts, no particular reasons why you want it. Just the word book, B-O-O-K, to 
888-333-2484. You're going to get a bounce back link to fill out on our resource giveaway page at myfaithradio.com. That is how this works. So if you are interested in, um, like Jenny, Jenny, you texted an exclamation point at the end of the word book, which means you're not getting the bounce back link. So just the word book, B-O-O-K, to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for the copies of Steve Arterburn's Every Believer's Thought Life, Defeating Destructive Mental Patterns to Gain Victory Over Temptation. We've got copies to give away. We'd love for you to, um, to have one of those and make good use of it. Okay, in other news, TikTok, TikTok, the doomsday clock. The doomsday clock. Are you familiar with the doomsday clock? So this is um, a bit of a ridiculous thing, by the way, because, uh, you know, we're it's not that we are one hair's breadth away from human beings or humanity destroying the world, which is what these people who have appointed themselves in charge of the doomsday clock. It's been ticking for 76 years, by the way. It's not a real clock. It attempts to gauge how close, quote, humanity is to destroying the world. Well, let me just say that the the doomsday clock struck midnight in a place called the Garden of Eden, pretty close to the beginning of human existence. So these two people um, actually just smashed the clock, right? Because they were walking with God in the cool of the day, um, we had this utterly delightful relationship with God and therefore with ourselves. We were in our right minds. We were in right relationship with one another. And then sin entered the world. Sin entered the world by the act of sinful humanity. Um, and the doomsday clock at that point, like, was set off. Like, right? That that was actually when it happened, when all of creation fell when human beings fell. Like that's called the fall, capital T, capital F, the fall. And the fall is how humanity, quote, destroyed the world. And so I recognize that these doomsday clock people uh, want us to be, you know, absolutely afraid of. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, Click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.